Welcome to Harrison Church. Thanks for joining us this week. We hope that you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Elizabeth. But I I have to say, I think it's interesting that Tyrus was surprised by his wife's text. I mean, come on, anybody that hangs out with preteens, teenagers, knows they don't get up in the morning on time. I mean, come on now, but um, it's interesting. I love history. You might have figured that out. And if you do a little digging in about Mother's Day, you realize that Mother's Day began with a group of women in the 1840s, I think, who were getting together to talk about parenting. And then, of course, we had this massive split in our country called the Civil War. And after the Civil War, the women began to get back together about the 1880s in order to promote unity in our country. Women, we got a lot of work still to do. Do we not? Men can join in. We need every hand we can get. And then by the time World War I uh, came around, Woodrow Wilson designated a day for Mother's Day. But what it was at that time was mothers coming together to say no son ought to have to go off to war. At that time, it was all boys. It was a peace movement. And I just think about how powerful collective voices are when we have a goal, a mission in mind, particularly one that is holy. What an example, what a call, what a gift. Uh, This morning, I'm going to be reading one of those parables of Jesus that absolutely makes no sense. In my video promo, I said it was ridiculous, and I don't call the world of God ridiculous all that easily, believe me. But this is one of those parables that just is odd, to say the least, ludicrous at best. If you will, please stand for the reading of this gospel lesson. It is uh, found in the book of Matthew. I'm going to be reading from Eugene Peterson's The Message. God's kingdom is like an estate manager who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. They agreed on a wage of a dollar a day and went to work. Later, about nine o'clock, the manager saw some other men hanging around the town square unemployed. And he told them to go work in his vineyard, and he would pay them a fair wage, and they went. He did the same thing at noon, and again at 3 o'clock. At 5 o'clock, he went back and found still others standing around, and he said, Why are you not working? Have you been standing here all day doing nothing? And they said, Because no one has hired us. So he told them to also go into his vineyard and work. And when the day's work was over, the owner of the vineyard instructed his foreman, call the workers in and pay them their wages. Start with the last hired and go on to the first. And those hired at five o'clock came up and were each given a dollar. And when those who were hired first, you know what they thought, when those who were hired first saw what was being given to these other men, they assumed they would get far more. But they got the same. Each of them, one dollar. And taking the dollar, they groused angrily to the manager. These last workers put in only one easy hour, and you just paid them equal to us? 
Those of us who slaved all day under the scorching sun? The manager replied to the one speaking for the rest, Friend, I haven't been unfair. We agreed on the wage of one dollar, didn't we? So take it and go. I've decided to give to the one who came last the same as you. Can't I do what I want with my own money? Are you going to get stingy because I am generous? And here it is again, the great reversal. Many of the first ending up last and the last first. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in thy sight. Help us to hear a word today that pleases you. For it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So picture this, a man riding his horse through the wilderness, and all of a sudden, a giant grizzly jumps up out of the bushes into the path of the horse. And you know what happens? The horse rears up, throwing its rider to the ground right in the path of the grizzly. And the rider and the grizzly were so close that the rider couldn't get his gun up in time to shoot the grizzly. So he took the butt of the gun and he rammed it into the grizzly's face, stunning the grizzly. Giving the man just enough time to climb up a small tree, a tree that no 600-pound bear could get up. And the bear, frustrated after a while, just gave up and wandered back into the woods. We love the American legend, do we not? We love the story of man versus wilderness, and we love the story of someone using their cunning in order to overcome a desperate situation. We love it. And we tell these stories and add to this one snow and ice. Add to this one the pursuit of a foreign army. Add to this one starvation. Back in the 1800s, 50 men, one woman, and a baby set off to find the river passage from the Missouri River into the Pacific Ocean, the Northwest Passage. And that's part of the legend. These folks set off in the wilderness not knowing what to expect at all. Actually, what they expected was the river to take them all the way to the Pacific Ocean all the way. And so they got their provisions together. They spent one year, six months, and a day getting there. And they were pursued by a foreign army, and they did face starvation and hardship. But the most difficult task of all, as they were towing their boats and and using them on the river, but also towing their boats over land, was when they caught sight of the Rocky Mountains. You know the story. The Rockies looming large in front of them. They could see the snow-capped peaks. Whenever they had heard about mountains that might be in their way, they thought about the Appalachians, not the Rockies. My husband's from up in Avery County. He says you have to respect the Appalachians a little more because they're older. (laughs) But what were they going to do? What were they going to do? 
They were going to leave their boats behind. They were going to leave their boats behind so that they might make it over those mountains and back down into a valley where they would pick up a river again and head on out to the Pacific Ocean and they would get more boats or what have you. But, but all their preparations, all their anticipation, it said that whatever country found the passage, the Northwest Passage, found that route through water to the Pacific Ocean, that country would have wealth comparable to Facebook today. It was an economic boom, and, and they were ready, and they were commissioned, and they were given all the equipment they needed until they realized that this future that they had hoped to plan for was so different from what they encountered. And all their preparations, they had to lay aside. All their preparations, all their anticipation, all their expectation as they met the future had to adapt. And welcome to the church in the 21st century. There's a guy named Todd Bolsinger and he has written a book entitled Canoeing the Mountains. And it's for believers, it's for church leaders, it's for all of us who have a mission... Remember the mission to get to the Pacific Ocean, the mission to make disciples for Christ. We have this mission that does not change. However, our ways of accomplishing the task before us, our ways of being successful on our mission must adapt to whatever it is we encounter and we must leave the canoes and the paddles behind and figure it out when we get on the other side of those Rockies. But this is nothing new, folks. You've heard me say there's another book by a woman named Phyllis Tickle. She says every 500 years, the church has a garage sale and decides what has to stay and what can adapt to meet the future. What do we need to do? to carry on with the mission. I mean, we began as, a, as believers with a psalter. We began singing psalms with the Jewish community. Pretty soon it was a Gregorian chant. Pretty soon it was hymns. Now it's this. It's adaptation, and we've gotten pretty good at it. And yet, sometimes we hesitate. Sometimes we wonder, is the new old? Is the old new? Must we go back to the ancient in order to embrace the future? Absolutely. Absolutely. We begin with Scripture, no doubt. We go back to God's Word and understand it as a living message. And as a word that's so important, we must adapt to spread the news. For example, I'm wearing a microphone. Wasn't always that way, was it? We must adapt in order to spread the news. We've been doing it for millennia, and hopefully we shall keep doing it. It's part of the call. The mission doesn't change, but our methods absolutely must. And the word of God doesn't change, and yet it speaks to people in different ways. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how we've maintained the core of who we are, by God's own spirit. That's how the word became, still is living and sacred and working through us. So I'm going to tell you this parable that absolutely makes no sense, right? I mean, I mean, who could run a business this way? 
It doesn't work. And yet, it's a pivotal moment for the people of God. It's a pivotal moment for the people of God as Jesus comes to them with a message that asks them, wait for it, a message that asks them to change. A message that asks them to adapt because it's a new world all the time. And the question is, how is it that we are called to be faithful in the midst of the adaptations, in the midst of the change? And I think Matthew 20, as senseless as it sounds, is key to who we are as God's people. So if you begin in context, think about the Jewish community. For 6,000 or so years, they have heard the message that they alone are the exclusive people of God. They alone have exclusive rights to Yahweh. They alone are guided by the law of God. They alone are the nation that God has selected to, to witness his presence in the world. It's all on them. And for thousands of years, they have done this. Sometimes not so well. Sometimes spot on. And all the while, with the ebb and the flow of their history, God's grace was abundant, and he forgave again and again and again. I'm not one of those who said that grace is only found in the New Testament. I think God is incredibly gracious in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, because again and again and again, God's people mess up. And again and again and again, God is faithful to them and forgives them. And so we, Jesus comes into this community that has been accustomed to hearing that they alone are the called people of God, not for their own sake. If you remember with Abraham, the people of God were called out so that they might be a blessing to others. That's the mission. The people of God were called out, set apart, given the law, all of that, heard from the prophets, heard the wisdom of the ages, all of that so that they may be a blessing to others. That's the mission. And that's what is not changing here. That's not what Jesus is coming to do to say that must be different. What Jesus is coming to do is to say, you know, this vineyard no longer belongs to only you. And that was scandalous. And that was offensive, right? I mean, can you imagine? You've heard one thing all of your life. You appreciate that identity. You try as you can to get that identity right, to be faithful to God, to bless others. I think we can assume they wanted to be blessings to others. And yet God sensed the need for change. And Jesus told this story that is pivotal in our understanding of how it is that adaptation takes place. And so we come to this story, again, that makes no sense, and we hear that the vineyard goes out, the owner of the vineyard goes out in the morning and gets some workers to go to work. No problem there. 
And then he goes out again at 9 o'clock. And then he goes out again at noon. And then he goes out again at 3 and at 5. Five times the owner goes down to Home Depot and finds people who need a job. And all is well. He's told them what their wages are going to be. He brings them into the, the vineyard and he puts them to work. And they do what they said they would do. Comes along the end of the day and the owner says his foreman, he says, go and pay these people what I owe them. And the foreman began with the last one hired at five o'clock and paid him a dollar. And you know what the guy that got hired in the morning was thinking? Whew, I'm going to get a lot. He's paying that guy a dollar. Just think what he's going to pay me. And you can almost see him rubbing his hands together and getting excited. Boy, I'm going to get more than I ever bargained for. I'm so glad I've been here all day slaving in the hot sun. I'm so glad God called me first or the owner of the vineyard called me first because I'm going to get a big boom. And it didn't happen. And it didn't happen. And so the, the ones who had been there early sent a representative and he groused angrily. I love that phrase. Because I'm an angry grouser when I don't get what I think is supposed to come to me. He groused angrily. How is it you can pay these other people what you pay those of us who've been slaving away in the hot sun? How is it that you can do that? Why is it that you would do that? We don't understand. We want what's coming to us. And he groused and he groused and he groused and he was very angry and I just understand him all together. I'm the angry man who wants what's coming to me more times than I'd care to admit. And you know the owner of the vineyard said... Quit your griping. I gave you what I promised to give you. And why on earth would you be stingy when I choose to be generous? Why on earth would you want to withhold goodness from your neighbor, from your fellow person? Why on earth would you want to be stingy when I'm so generous? It's this idea of scarcity, right? That if somebody else gets too much, we won't get enough. And the owner of the vineyard calls him on it. He says, can't I do what I want to with my own money? Can't I spend what I want to, how I want to, give to whom I want to? Can't I do that with my own money? And then we have what Peterson calls the great reversal. And we've heard it before in the gospel. This isn't new. The great reversal where the last shall be first and the first shall be last scandalous, offensive, senseless, pointless. What's going to happen if the world operates this way? There's going to be complacency and lethargy. And who's going to work a full day anymore? You know what they're thinking. And yet, I don't know if this story is about money, but I know it's about grace. And that's the adaptation that the people of God are asked to make in this passage. The people of God are invited in to understand that God's grace no longer is the exclusive property of one group or another. God is changing that process, procedure, what have you. Not the mission, but the way of getting it accomplished for sure. And you know that the Jews were having a hard time. Their country was occupied by the Roman government. They, they were oppressed by that government. Their own leaders were corrupt. And you know what people do when they feel threatened? They turn inward, right? 
They grasp onto whatever they can grasp for their own identity's sake. They, they circle the wagons, if you will. Trust is real low, and yet God walks right into that and says, I'm flinging the doors wide open. And by my grace, all workers of the vineyard shall be welcomed. And can't I do what I want with grace? With what it is that I offer to all people? You know, I think it's kind of a self-check here, and I would invite you to do the same. It's kind of a self-check that if, if this parable gets us up in arms in the, in the understanding of how it is God's grace operates, perhaps we've been working too long. Perhaps we've been so insulated thinking that we're in the in crowd that we've forgotten that the purpose of that is to bless somebody else. Perhaps we are the ones who have gotten complacent and lethargic. And perhaps we are the ones who decided that we prefer the us and them world because we're the, we're the us. And this pointless, senseless parable asks us to change. And then on the other hand, if you've been working in the vineyard long enough, let's put it in a positive spin. If you've been in the vineyard long enough, if you've accepted God's grace for long enough, or even for just a day, and you're so grateful that God has seen fit to bring you or I into his presence, to call us his people, if we've been at it long enough, then we thank God there's always room for more. Why on earth would the people of God want anybody left out? That's not grace. That's not the foundation of our faith. That's not what Jesus died and rose again for. And so if we've been working in the vineyard, if we've been studying the ways of God, if we understand and begin to relate to that owner and let him correct us when we need it, we begin to pray that others will join us and rejoice no matter what time they show up beginning of the day or at the very end, thank God another person has come into his presence. Thank God another person has seen fit to enter into that relationship by God's grace. You know, there's no test. There's no essay. There's no true or false. There's no SAT to weed out the lose, to weed out those you don't want. That would be me. There's no peer review board. There's no checks and balances that we have a say over. That's not how the kingdom works. That's not how God set it up. We and our competitive nature got to get past that. We and our nature that believe that if somebody else gets more, we have less. We got to get past that. That's not the multiplication of grace. That's not the economy of grace. And we rejoice over every worker that comes into the field. Now hear this, there's no test, there's no weeding out, but once you're in, there's work for everybody. God's grace is free, but it's not cheap, and there are expectations, right? We don't get in by works, and yet when we're there, the owner has called us to the field to do what we need to do to till the soil and grow the plant and, and then distribute it 
as blessing to others. God's grace is free, but it's not cheap. When we come into that presence, we do our job. We join the mission. We're part of the task. But God forbid we ever be at it so long that we forget to welcome someone else. What a gift. What a blessing to be allowed to adapt and to welcome others into the fields of God. And aren't we glad that God operates this way, even for us? Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your timeless word, your everlasting mission of calling people together to bless this earth. Lord, we are grateful just to be a part of it. And Lord, whether we have come to the fields at the beginning of the day, in the middle or at the end, we don't know, but God, thank you for allowing us to be here. And may we never grow so complacent May we never grow so stingy that we would dare refuse your grace to anybody else. Help us always to rejoice and welcome others. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You know, God's ways aren't necessarily our ways. But thank God. He asks us to rise above ourselves, offers us the means to do so, his grace, and then invites us to adapt and change, invite and expand so that we might continue to fulfill the mission of blessing this world. Go in the name of Christ.